We're going to conclude our series in Ruth, at least for right now. We may come back and do one more overall sermon, but we're going to start it in Acts 17. So though we'll be in Ruth 4, I want you to turn to Acts 17. And, and before we launch into the sermon itself, I just want to take a moment to say two things. First of all, I want to remind you that next Sunday we'll have a solemn assembly. Kevin's going to remind us of that uh, at the end. But we have been praying uh, for 40 days. You know, for those of you who this is your first Sunday, when we started uh, our first Sunday here in January, we had sent over 60 of our people to help plant another church. And the Lord's hand has been in that entire process and continues to be on that. And we wanted to commit, the elders wanted to commit, that as we started this year, we wanted to admit our dependence on the Lord and how we needed him and uh, seeking his guidance through prayer. So we've been praying corporately, hopefully, uh, for 40 days. And that will culminate, should the Lord give us this next Sunday, in what's called a solemn assembly. And we're going to gather, and it's just going to be a Sunday in which we fully commit ourselves to the Lord. We want to uh, be honest and open before him and, and then yielded to him in all the ways that he would... Uh, desire to use us in these days that he's given to us so just want to remind that to you solemn assembly will be next sunday still at the same time ten thirty, and there'll still be musical worship these things but there'll be some special aspects of, uh, to the service the second thing that i just want to share with you is just give you a bit of update uh, i want to first thank you all for all the prayers and all the food and all the calls it's been an interesting week uh tara and our youngest son adnaram have been in or our only son adnaram uh, have been in Tupelo for the week in, in Tara's grandmother's final days. They were uh, they attempted to put a feeding tube on Wednesday. They were n- not able to do that, and so they brought her home and have taken her off dialysis as well. And and so Tara has been able to spend some days with her grandmother, and they've been very precious days. And with that Nairam running around, uh, it's been very good for grandmommy. And, and even uh, in some ways she seems to do better. I don't know if it's one last bright glimmer, but before the end but uh tara and adoniram have been there and then on wednesday my mom and adelaide were in a car wreck here on airline highway and and because of god's good providence they all walked away from that and and uh we talk about the gospel community and i shared in an email uh mr al and mr aj were here we were doing teacher training for revelation because we need it and uh and we found out that mom had been in a wreck and so we just uh i pulled out and the incredible thing is as soon as I pulled out they pulled out right behind me and they were there and just a very great presence and Mr. AJ uh, even came back and brought some chicken nuggets for Addie and ministered to me and it was just a blessing to be a part of the faith community at that point mom went to the doctor Friday and uh, she uh, they did a cat scan and so they'll find out Monday if she needs to actually do surgery on her hand it was fractured in three places so they'll know more Monday but in the meantime uh, Arabella and Adelaide and I have been surviving very well. And I've learned that many of you think that I may not provide for my children, so you bring food to our house. And so I I am, I am very grateful. The Lowry family, as, as well as the Wickers, have blessed us with food, and uh, and I have eaten. And so have they, and it's been really good. So I just wanted to, to share an update to say, you know, it's been one of, one of those weeks. And, and I would say to you that there are times in our life when you say, you know, I can't see Jesus and I can't feel Jesus, and I can't hear Jesus. And I think too often we walk through life based on emotions rather than trusting his promises. And I would just say to you that I haven't felt Jesus every step of the way this week. 
I haven't seen Jesus every step of the way, but he hadn't sent me an email. But the thing that I have known is Jesus is the one who's sustaining me every step of the way. As I look back and say, how do you make it through this week and other difficult weeks? It's because the Lord is a gracious sustainer. And it has been his hand that is, as I've been going about the day, it's his strength. It's his wisdom. And so we're grateful uh, for that in many ways. All right. Now to Ruth via Acts. In Acts 17, beginning in verse 26, we'll just read one verse here. Paul is, Paul is preaching uh, to the Areopagus. This is his famous sermon on Mars Hill, if you are aware of that. And he's preaching to some leaders here in Athens. And uh, we can just get a running start. Look at 22. He says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. I mean, are you a little chubby silver doll? No. So he's saying, look, contemplate the image you've been made in. Don't think that it's this created thing. He is the creator. Verse 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Where I want us to focus is that verse in, in 26. Though he's, he's preaching a sermon, here he's gone into this town. Paul is addressing them and saying, look, you, you have statues. You're very religious, but you have one to the unknown God. Let me tell you who he is. He's not one who's been created. He is the creator. He has created all things. And he doesn't live in temples like... Uh, like you, you have here, he doesn't need that. He creates his own temples. And, and so one of the things that he wants to point out is, look, God has determined a lot of periods there in verse 26 and the boundaries of their dwelling place. And as we start our sermon thinking about Ruth, I want to remind you that God determines both when and where people should live. It's no accident. Paul's saying it's no accident. God, from one man, he made every nation, and he determines when and where they're going to be. So God determines when and where. So it is no accident that this is when you're alive. This is not just some random cosmic uh, happening. It is part of God's divine plan. If you should have been alive during Little House in the Prairie days, then you would have been alive during those days. If you should have been alive during Macbeth and all of the other things, the Macbethan period, then you, I don't even know if that's a real period, but you, you would have been alive, but he's not. You're alive in the Twitter, Facebook generation. That's when he's chosen for you, and so many of you engage in it. So he has chosen this time, and particularly at this point, this place for you. If you turn back in Acts, turn back to Acts chapter 4, just to see a confirmation of that. <coughs> Peter is uh, speaking. Peter and John are answering the religious leaders, which, ha which happens a lot in Acts. And in verse 27 of Acts chapter 4, 
Here's what Peter and John are saying to them. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So not only do we see that we that God determines when people live and where they live, but he determines what they're to be about. We want to be clear, as Peter's saying, it was no accident. The cross was no accident. It's not that Jesus was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Jesus was in the very right place at the right time. God had a plan that he was accomplishing in the redemption of man. And so Herod, Pilate, though they were pagans, they were a part of that plan. The Gentiles and even the peoples of Israel, verse 27 says, all of them were part of God's plan. There was no accident in any of these things. So God determines when and where, and he determines the things that we're to be about. In Galatians 4.4, 4, it says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So in the right time, in the right place, in the right way, God sent his Son to redeem a people for his name. The Old Testament says that the Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. An interesting thing, how God uses a pagan ruler to cause a census to be taken, which then causes Joseph and Mary to return to a little town called, what? Bethlehem. Isn't that amazing? How God is sovereign over all of these things, and he's working. But I don't want you to be confused, and you shouldn't be if you know the Bible. It's not just in the generation of Christ that God appointed things for people to do. All along, God has had people. He's raised people up. Do you remember when God's people were in oppression in Egypt? God raised up a little baby. What was that baby's name? Moses. And even when he went away, God found him out in the wilderness, right? And he said, I have plans for you. But don't be mistaken. It's not just Moses God raised up. For you find in Exodus nine sixteen, God tells Pharaoh, for this purpose, I've raised you up. So we tend to say, well, yeah, God raised up Moses. God also raised up Pharaoh. There's no accidents in these things. God has plans that he's accomplishing, and he's using people, both his people and pagans. But for the most part, we see in Scripture how God uses his people at different times and different places for his ultimate purposes. And not just men. Anyone remember Esther? And one of the most famous verses, Mordecai says to Esther, Esther wins a beauty pageant, right? So the reason why all parents should have their daughters in beauty pageants in the Bible, right? Just kidding. So Esther wins a, a pageant, and there, you know, as shady as Ruth chapter 3 is, there's some things in Esther that are pretty shady, and I'm going to leave that for our Sunday school teachers to teach. But what we find is that Esther is in a position that she may be able to do something to help stop the persecution of God's people. There's some plots that are going against them. And Mordecai just asks one of the most famous questions in Scripture. He says, who knows whether or not you have come to the kingdom for what? Such a time as this. Such a time as this. And every generation, God is raising them up. One of my favorites is a little teenage boy who comes to the battlefield. He's just taking some food to his older brothers. And he finds out that everyone's kind of scared when he gets to the battlefield. Do you remember why that teenage boy... Uh, what he saw, what, what were the older brothers and the whole army scared of? Do you remember? A big old boy, right? A big old cornbread, black-eyed pea-eating boy, right? A big old giant. And uh, everyone cowered. And then David's like, who's this giant? Psh! 
he's nothing compared to God, right? And he's like, I'd take him on, you know, and Saul tries to give him his armor. You'd think Saul would have put on his own armor, right? And led, see, it's an indication of Saul's leadership. And David's like, I can't deal with this junk. Give me some stones, you know? And so then one of my favorite passages, right? It's 1 Samuel 17. It says, when the Philistine arose, what was his name? Good. When Goliath arose and came near and drew meat, drew near to meet David, this teenager, right, who's got pebbles, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. That's one of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible. I love that David runs to meet the giant. He's like, oh, yeah, big boy, I know you're big, but God is bigger. And I love that David's confidence is not in David. David's confidence is not just, in, I'm a pretty good shot with this. You don't know it yet, sucker, but you're going to find out. Right? It's not his confidence isn't in the flick of his wrist. His confidence is in the God that he serves. That's where David's confidence is. And so one of my favorite stories is at that time when every other man was afraid, God raised up a man who wasn't. God raised up a man who would do what was right because his confidence was in God, who would do the right thing. <clears throat> As I think about David, I think about uh, ancestry tree. Have y'all seen these commercials on TV for find out who your ancestors are, right? I saw one this week on, on TV in the four minutes that I watched TV. And uh, there was this woman and she said, I got on ancestry tree and I saw that my great grandmother had five children, but only one lived. And I was reminded how lucky I am. And uh, it I just gripped me, you know, uh, when we think that luck has to do with whether we're born or not, and folks that don't have a biblical worldview, of, uh, that's, that's what it is. I'm just lucky that my, my granddaddy made it, you know, in that process. Well, one of the things of, of, of thinking about that and, and thinking about David is we, we know Moses, and we know David, and, and we know these folks that God has raised up at, at different times to be his people. But one of the things that I love is we think about a guy like David, and we think about ancestry tree as... If we zoom out a little bit from David, we realize long before David was doing the right things, his great-grandfather and his great-grandmother were doing the right things also. Does anybody have a clue who they were? Anyone? (laughs) Esther, Mordecai, Ruth, and... Good. All right, friends, we're tracking. Good. Ruth and Boaz. And to say that they were doing right things is really huge because they lived in a time when people weren't doing godly things. They lived in a time when people were doing what was right in their own eyes, which is different from our day, though. They lived in a time, right, when everyone just was godless, but not Ruth and Boaz. Long before David, there was Ruth and Boaz who was standing up for what was right and doing what was godly. And I love when you, when you zoom out and see the picture as, as a whole is that in every generation, God has men and women who do what's right, who obey him, and who he uses as a part of his eternal plan to redeem a people for his namesake. If you're not in our Sunday night class, we're talking about God's big picture. And the big picture is in, in every time when it seemed God's people were in trouble from something, God always raised up one or some who would work on behalf of his people, and he continued to preserve his line. I love that it wasn't Pharaoh and famine and infertility and Philistines and Pharisees, and as we see in Revelation, even a funky dragon can't stop God from redeeming his people. I love it. And as a part of that, he just uses ordinary people in the process along the way. If we had to put Ruth 4 in a sentence, it would simply be that this this morning. 
God uses our daily obedience to accomplish his eternal plan of redemption for the sake of his renown. I'm going to submit to you, Ruth and Boaz had no idea they were part of such a bigger plan. They were just doing what was right in their time. They were doing what was right in front of them. What was the godly thing in their time? And you and I have no idea of the countless ways God can use our obedience and just the small things on a daily basis for his long-term eternal plans. We're going to see that this text, I think it's calling us to a couple things, to be the men and women in our generation like Boaz and Ruth were in theirs. You see, Moses, he's done. Esther, they're collected to be with the Lord. David, collected to be with the Lord. It is our turn. It is our race. Ruth and Boaz, faithful in their time. My question is, are we? Are we those who are standing in this generation and doing the godly thing and trusting God for the bigger plan that he has? So do the right thing. Do it now. Do it no matter the cost. Do it for the Lord's renown. And then the last thing this text is calling us to do is name your children and grandchildren Boaz and Ruth because they're awesome people. And I will admit to you, I have a slight man crush on Boaz, but in a very appropriate way. And so this dude's awesome. He's a man, you know. When all the other dudes are bailing out on their responsibilities, Boaz is the one that's charging ahead and saying, I'll be the man. I'll be the man. So if the Lord blesses us with another children, that we thought about naming a, a son, Asher, and we may have Arabella, Adelaide, Adoniram, Boaz. You know, but it'd be awesome because Boaz is a worthy man and Ruth is a worthy woman. Let's stand together and let's read a portion of Ruth chapter 4 and then we'll jump right in it. Aren't you excited? That was just the introduction. Verse 9. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and all to Malin. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malin, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Father, we thank you for this text. Would you light it up to us? Would you use it to spur us on to be the people who do the right thing in our time, in our generation? and for your renown. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. As we uh, examine chapter 4, just two simple, broad teaching points. The first one is do the right thing, and then we'll come back with the second one and say, why do the right thing? We see both in this passage. Beginning with do the right thing, I would say there's a couple things that we learn from Boaz in this process, as well as Ruth, in a moment. But the first one is do the right thing immediately. Do the right thing immediately. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. We should be those who do the right thing immediately. You understand, right, that delayed obedience is actually disobedience. And what we call disobedience is sin. Delayed obedience is actually disobedience, which is called sin. And sin is a rejection of God's rule. So when we delay our obedience, in effect, what we're saying to God is, I'm setting the timetable. I'll do what I want to do when I want to do it. That's what we're saying. And we reveal both our arrogance and our ignorance. Now, the cool thing is God overcomes it with his omnipotence. But I just want to say that because it all runs. So we want to be those who don't delay, but we obey. We don't want to be those who say to God, 
I'm setting the timetable. God sets the times and the places. We want to immediately obey. So we do the right thing and do now. How many of us have passed someone on the road or someone who needed help only to come back and find they were either gone or someone else was doing what we should have stepped in to do? I shared a, a few weeks ago that story of the Good Samaritan. Look, be the somebody. Don't get all the way to Jericho and be like, some dude's hurt back there. Would y'all send somebody to help him? We want to be the ones who go and are the somebody. We meet the need. We want to be obedient. We want to do it now. I love Boaz went from the grain to the gate. Now, well, that's pretty significant when you think about a couple things. One, they'd had a famine for about 10 years. God has now restored and given them a harvest. And Boaz was even sleeping out there to help protect the grain. But he encountered, had the encounter with Ruth. And now all of a sudden he left the grain and got to the gate, you know. And he was there immediately. He was waiting. I think there's some things about that. First, <clears throat> he keeps his word to Ruth. He says, look, in the morning, I'm going to take care of this. Ladies, if you're single, you want a man who keeps his word. You want a man of integrity. He's about the business that he said he was going to be about on your behalf. The brother is at the gate and ready to take care of business. I love it. So he had this incredible uh, uh, encounter with Ruth conversation. And then this brother's like, I'm taking care of business. First place, he doesn't even go home. He just goes to the gate and he sits down. He's ready. I'm ready to take care of business. And the reason he is, I believe, is because he's about to go from the grain to the gate and from the gate to the girl, right? That's the incredible picture. This is a brother on a mission, and he's all about it. And then she's not just any girl. Come on. She is a worthy girl. That's what Scripture says. She's a worthy girl. She's a hased girl. A what kind of girl? Right, the kindness, which means she's a selfless girl. The hased love is a selfless love. So she is a worthy girl. She is a hased girl. She is a selfless girl. Most importantly, she has sought refuge in God. She is a godly girl at this point. And so that's where I would say, gentlemen who are still single, not every woman's worth pursuing. Boaz isn't wasting his time on just some woman. This is a godly woman. This is one who's worth pursuing. This is one going from the grain to the gate. And from the gate to the girl. She's worth following this up. The real picture here is there are two impoverished widows, Ruth and Naomi, who need help. And the question is, who's going to step in and unloose the cords? That's Remember the definition last week from Redeemer? The one who unlooses the cords? Who's going to step in and unloose the cords of bondage to servitude, poverty, to vulnerability? Who's going to step up and be the man? Boaz knows there's someone who should be doing it, but they're not. He knows there's someone who should be doing something about it already. And he says, if that guy's not willing, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be the man. Matter of fact, Boaz is already, in part, taking care of these things as he's shown incredible kindness to Ruth and Naomi in providing that safe place and, and, and telling his boys, you don't mess with her, and providing enough food for her, providing a place for her to work through that harvest season. As I think about obeying immediately, and I see him go straight to the gate and sit down, here's what I wonder about us. I wonder if we're this type of person. I wonder if we're the ones who are pursuing obedience immediately. Some of you have come in this room, and there's no doubt God's been asking you to do something, and you're waiting, and you're waiting. Why are you waiting? Delayed obedience is disobedience. We want to obey the Lord immediately. I wonder if we're the ones who see needs and strive to meet them. The longer we delay, it just has consequences. One is a lack of joy. One of the reasons many of our folks lack joy is we lack obedience. There's great joy in doing what God wants and doing it immediately because God knows what's best. 
There's great joy to be there. All right, so do the right thing. Second, do the right thing in the right way. Boaz knows someone else has the legal right to redeem the land uh, and Naomi and Ruth, and he could try to go behind this guy's back and just take it or do something, but he seeks to do what's right. I love that Boaz is not a product of his generation or his circumstances. He's going to do the right thing. If you carry out a godly mission in an ungodly way, it's wrong. If we carry out a godly mission in an ungodly way, it's wrong. So here's Boaz. He knows that there's something that has to be done here. You need the right people and you need the right procedure. So Boaz is at the gate. And then I love him. Verse 1 says, And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who's come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me, that I may know, for there's no one besides you to redeem it. And I come after you. So Boaz is here. He's going to the gate. He's going to take care of business. A part of taking care of business is having the right people gathered and the right procedure to do that. And I love the providence in this, right? You remember the providence. So uh, Ruth just happens to come to Boaz's field, right? Boaz just happens to show up at the same time without e-harmony. Boaz just happens to be kind and generous. And now Boaz goes to the gate and guess who just happens to show up? You see God's providence all through it. Anytime you see in scripture says, and behold, it's begging. Look at this. Look at this. The redeemer. And I would submit to you that this guy, he's not even given a name. He's not even, we don't even know his name. And I would say that part of it is because this brother slacks on his responsibilities. But here he is, the redeemer. He shows up. And uh, the question that I have is, where's this guy been? If this guy is the redeemer, how come he hasn't been taking care of Naomi and Ruth? Where has this guy been and what's he been doing? How does he not know about these things? What has he done to help these ladies? And I looked it up in the Hebrew and it said there were two things that he had done. Jack and squat. That's all this guy's done for him, right? It's straight up. It's in the Hebrew. So he sees the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken. And he says, turn aside, friend. Maybe Boaz didn't know the brother's name either, you know. He's like, friend, you know, those kind of guys, right? So turn aside, friend, sit down here. And it's actually in the form of a command. I love it. It says, and he turned aside and sat down. Then Boaz took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. I love it. Boaz says, sit down. He sat down. He says, you, 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 sit down. They sat down. Boaz is leading the charge. Why? There's a lady and there's a godly lady. He's like, we got to take care of some business. You sit down. You, you, you come over here. Sit down. Let's handle this. You know, I love it. He's a man in love. He's a man who's knowing that he's going to redeem this. So Boaz is leading like crazy here, but he's doing it legally. And he says to him, the right procedure. Look, you have the right and responsibility to redeem our relative's land. Keep it in the family. You have the first shot. I want you to be aware. You should already be, sucker. You should already be aware, but I'm making you aware. And the purpose of the kinsman redeemer was that the land would stay in the family. That the land would stay in the family. And so instead of it being lost to other people, there would be one who would purchase it so that that family line would continue so that it would stay where it belonged. And then Boaz simply says, I'm willing to redeem it if you're not. I would say to you that I love Boaz's integrity. What we do and how we do it are equally important in God's eyes. The means and the end both matter. God does not call us to just do something, but to also do it in a holy manner. So we learn from Boaz, he's not scheming, 
I think Boaz is trusting. I think he's trusting the Lord in this. But we're going to see in a moment Boaz is pretty wise in the way he does it. But he's doing it with integrity. So, friends, it's not about just doing godly things. It's about doing them in godly ways as well. So, number three, do the right thing immediately. Do the right thing <clears throat> in the right way. Do the right thing wisely. You remember what Paul Harvey used to say often on the radio? And now for the... Yeah, I love it, right? So Boaz has this guy sit down and he says, look, uh, Naomi is selling the land and you have the opportunity to redeem it. And this guy says, he says at the end of verse five, 4, I will redeem it. And outside my scripture in my pink highlighter here, I wrote, boo, <laughs> right? Because we're like, no, not this guy, right? Where's this guy been? He hadn't even shown up. We're like, boo on this guy. We don't want him to be the one who redeems it. But then we learn about sneaky little Boaz, right? He is, he, he's wise. And now he does it. He's like, oh, there's a little bit of lanyap that comes with the land. Let me just tell you about it. He says, along with the land comes Ruth the Moabite, all right? So you see it here. He says her full name, Ruth the, that's her middle name, Moabite, last name. The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite. Now, why would that be important? Well, he's telling her, there's a foreign girl that comes along with this. There's a foreign girl, and particularly the Moabites, they were sketch, right? They actually come from an incestual relationship, so they were real sketch, and they, they had a bad history of uh, sexual things. Plus, they worshiped a whole different God. So Boaz knows what he's doing. He's just saying, hey, by the way, she comes with the deal. Now, not only that, she's the widow of the dead. She's already had one husband die, buddy. You know, he's throwing it out there. He's like, you get the foreign girl? She's had one guy go down already. All right, so then you need to know that. In order to perpetuate the name of the dead, you want diapers and crying, buddy? You've got to have a baby, all right? You want the land, you get the foreign lady who's had one man die, and you get to stay up all night with a baby, all right? So he's telling, here's the whole story. And then the bottom line is, in his inheritance. So the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead, in his inheritance. So the reality is, if you do have a baby, that baby can one day claim this land. It'll be his land. So though you're redeeming it, it's still going to be his land. So I just want to tell you that. I just want to pass. I'm going to give you the full picture, you know. I think there's a word in here for us who'd be like, I want to buy some land. I want, you know, we're the ones like, I'll do it. And then we get the rest of the story, right? And then he's like, I can't do it, right? You see this guy. He's like, I can't redeem it. <laughs> Boaz's his plans worked. And it says, the Redeemer said, I can't redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take the right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it, which I wrote out in pink in my highlighter. Yay! Right? So it was amazing. You go from boo to yay, right? You're like, oh, this story was supposed to end well. And then it's like, this dude who's come out of nowhere is going to take it. And then he's like, I can't do it. And you're like, yeah, it's going to end how it's supposed to end, we hope. So I think it's interesting that this guy says, I don't want to impair my own inheritance. And I think that we don't want to miss it. Not everyone is willing to sacrifice or do the right thing. He doesn't want to take on these widows to risk what he's already accumulated. You see the wretchedness in that? And no wonder this brother doesn't get a name in the Bible. He didn't want to risk his stuff to do what's right for these two ladies. What a sorry man, right? Sorry, dude. So he says, let's be legal. You take my place. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. How many of you are grateful we don't do it that way now? You go to purchase a house, and, hey, brother, you're my shoe. <laughs> be like, uh, I may look into an apartment, right, you know? 
<laughs> particularly, you know, and, and someone said it was really funny. They're like, yeah, you buy this house, there's an old bitter lady living upstairs. Her name's Naomi. <laughs> but it's a whole other story. So <clears throat> that's the whole picture. So he gives him the sandal. He says, let me be legal. I couldn't help but think about junior high. We used to do that. When I was in junior high, we switched shoes with a good friend. Did any y'all do that? It was just a Leesville thing, maybe. But uh, it made me think of that. And you get all kinds of good presents from that. But he drew, he drew off his sandal. And uh, so in verse 8, so when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Uh, and all of these things, I would say, you see, Boaz is doing the right thing, but he's also doing it wisely in the way he's conducted it. And Jesus himself says, look, be wise as serpent, but innocent as doves. Do the right thing, but be wise in how you do it. He's not calling us just to be stupid. He's calling us to have wisdom as we engage in these things. Number four in this passage, do the right thing if no one else is. Here's what he goes on to say in verse 9. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilean and to Malan. Here's what I love. I am Boaz, and I'm going to clean up the mess made by all these other men. You see, Elimelech took his family into disobedience. He took them to this foreign land. His two sons married foreign women, and then you have a redeemer who's not willing to sacrifice his stuff, and Boaz says, I'm going to clean up their mess. And we live in a time where men are making a lot of messes. We're living in a time with girls that are abused, women that are forsaken, left abandoned, because some dude doesn't want to have kids anymore. He just he can't handle it, so he leaves. We live in a, a time in which uh, there's forsakenness, neglect, abuse. And then there's a word here to our college students and even to our high schoolers. Quit chasing the world. Grow up and be a man. Be this kind of man. Be this man that if you have to, you're going to clean up the mess that's made by all these other men. And you're going to do the right thing, even if Elimelech didn't. Even if Malin didn't. Malin and Chilean, they didn't bring the women back. They didn't return, so they died there. And even this Redeemer, be the man who's going to do the right thing, even if you're the only man who's doing it. No matter what the other dudes have done, I'm going to do the right thing. And you know one of the places that needs to be producing these type of men? The church. We need to be producing these type of men. If the church isn't producing these type of men, we're failing. We're failing. We must produce these men who, no matter what everyone else does in my high school, I'm going to do what's right before the Lord. No matter what everyone else is doing in my neighborhood, I'm going to be the man that God wants me to be. And the same for our ladies. You're going to see that from Ruth. Ruth was obviously uh, not just like every other Moabite. She chooses to take shelter in God. And she ends up being this incredible woman. These are the men and women that we want to be raising. Number five, do the right thing no matter the cost. He says, I have bought uh, from Naomi. He says there in verse 9, that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilean and to Malin. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malin, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place, you are witnesses this day. So he buys the land, he buys the wife, and as we talked about last week, redemption has a price. There's a cost that's associated. But I want to share one other thing with you. Boaz is in a position to do this. So listen, single folks, Boaz did not waste his single years. Boaz did not squander his single years. He is obviously in the place to be able to do what he's desirous to do. 
and he didn't waste it. So you don't waste it. It's not about finding her or finding him. It's about being obedient and seeking Christ most. And in his time and in his way, he's going to put you in the position that he wants you to be in. And so I love, yes, redemption has a price. But the bigger part is Boaz was able to pay that price, willing to pay that price. And he was able to pay it because he hadn't squandered his singleness. Here's the, the last part of this section on do the right thing. Do the right thing even if it seems insignificant. And uh, I go back to chapter 2, verse 23, one of my favorite verses in Ruth. It talks about Ruth, and it says, So she kept close to the young woman, young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. And, of course, when we were there, we said there's no reason to really further explain that. But she's doing the right thing. There's so many of us who say, I want to do something big for God. I want to do something really big. I want to change the world. You want to change the world, start with changing your home. Start with changing right what's right around you. Neither Ruth nor Boaz had delusions of grandeur making a name for themselves. Here's what Ruth did. She committed to a widow that needed somebody. That's what she did. She went out and worked in a field because they needed food. And she went out six, seven weeks doing it. And she committed to stay with that woman. And she didn't chase other younger men, whether they were rich or poor. She did what was right. And she did it in front of her. Boaz... He's, he has no idea David's coming. He has no idea that David is going to be his great-grandson, much less the one that's going to eventually come through David's line. For Boaz, it's not about a royal line. It's about doing what was right and meeting the need that was in front of his face. These two widows need a man who will stand for them. I'll be that man. And so here in this picture is this incredible idea. Look, we, we do these things, and, and we want to do something big for God. Friends, do the right thing and let Jesus determine its significance. Do the right thing and let Jesus determine its significance. For instance, here's what Jesus is going to say to his sheep one day. He says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when, we did, when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. I got to tell you, to give someone a drink, it doesn't sound earth-shattering, does it? To give somebody a lunch, it doesn't sound global news, right? But that's the incredible thing about God's kingdom. The things that seem insignificant are very significant. You see, Ruth is, Ruth and Boaz are just doing the right things that are in front of them, and God has a bigger plan that he's working. When we go about it and we're like, I want to make a name for myself, and that happens in Christendom. There are guys, there are pastors who will switch to this place or that place. They will uh, publicize a ton of things, and that's why I think we have to even be careful about Twitter and these things, about broadcasting our righteousness. There are guys that post things because they do want to advance. And the incredible thing that we learn from here is do what's right in front of you and watch how God works these things in this big plan. Let Christ determine the significance of a cup of water. You'd say, I can't move to Africa. Can you give somebody water? I can't go to Russia. Can you, can you buy a lunch? Can you clothe somebody? Let God determine the significance, friends. Let us be the ones who feed and clothe and visit 
and meet the needs that are right in front of our face. One of the larger stories that we sometimes hear is about Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was just a Sunday school teacher, and he happened to be a shoe salesman. You don't hear a lot about shoe salesmen or Sunday school teachers necessarily, but Edward Kimball would one day have one of his students in his store, and this student was searching, and he was seeking, and Edward Kimball just pressed. He had a burden that this student, that this youth, didn't really know Christ. And so he just determined that he was going to pursue that. And so the student comes into the store and Edward Kimball begins to talk and shares Christ with this student. That student just happens to be D.L. Moody. So the incredible thing is you may teach Sunday school in a bubble, but you have no idea of the ones that you're teaching, how God may use them down the road. For those of you who don't know D.L. Moody, D.L. Moody went on to be one of the greatest evangelists came to Christ in a shoe store. Why? Because there was a guy who wasn't about doing grander things, about doing what was right in front of his face for the sake of the kingdom. And then they'll trace through, and you see that Kimball impacted other guys, other guys, and ultimately they try to trace a line to Billy Graham. Uh, It doesn't fully connect, but there are people who had influences and relationships, and the issue is a shoe salesman impacts a guy who impacted countless other guys, who continue to still impact other guys. And so, friends, whatever the Lord puts in front of you this afternoon, don't worry about if 20 years from now people are going to hear about it. Meet the need and let God do what he will in his eternal plan. But don't let us fail to meet the need. Why should we do the right thing? This is the, the last half of this passage. There are a couple of reasons. The first is God blesses our obedience. In verse 11 all the people who were there at the gate, whether it's still the witnesses or by now a crowd is gathered, all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who's coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together build up the house of Israel. In case you don't know, these are part of the mothers of the 12 tribes. These are two of the mothers. They were handmaids, they were part of that. But now this is what the people are praying. May God make that foreign woman like our matriarchs. May God do that for her. Then then there's a prayer for Boaz. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. Those that were there in Bethlehem, they're from the line of Perez. And they're saying, may God be gracious to you. May your wife be blessed. May you be blessed. And may the babies that come be blessed. And that's pretty huge, because in case you have forgotten, Ruth was barren. Or Ruth was unable to have a child, at least. We know that neither one, neither Orpah nor Ruth, had children. So at least for 10 years, uh, Ruth's womb was closed. And that's why we, I love that they pray these prayers. And then verse 13, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. May his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher <coughs> excuse me, of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. You see, God blessed the obedience, I believe, of Boaz and Ruth and God opens that womb God is sovereign over wombs friends and I would submit to you neither barrenness nor blindness are accidental they're both for the glory of God remember in the New Testament uh, the disciples come upon a young man who's blind and the disciples are asking a question who, who sinned was it this man or his parents and and Jesus just simply answers he was born this way for the glory of God 
for the glory of God, for these purposes. So neither barrenness nor blindness are accidental. God has a sovereign plan, but what we see is the obedience of Ruth and Boaz. God is blessing them. And another thing that I remind us, children are a blessing. In our day and age where abortion is so prevalent, we must never forget children are a blessing from the Lord. And it is our job to stand and be their voice. And they are a blessing. Godliness, though, as Boaz and Ruth are doing this, they weren't doing it primarily about the rewards. They're doing it because they're just godly people. And so what we want to um, be certain of is doing flows out of being. We're not those who just do it because we want obedience. We, we are those who do it because it is the right thing. Sometimes uh, we forget about God's blessings, but they're, they're tied, I believe, to two specific things. They're tied to our being in Christ and our walking in Christ. I think sometimes we tend to want the blessing without the obedience. We want God to bless us, but we don't want to walk obediently. We want God to do good stuff for us, but we don't always want to walk in holiness, and that's a picture of our corrupted hearts. Even more dreadful is we tend to want God's blessings more than we want God, and that reveals our real treasure. That reveals what our heart really craves for and longs for. For those who are obedient, there are great blessings, both now and to come. As we would say, God bless America. Friends, there's obedience that, should, that undergirds God's blessings. God's blessings aren't disconnected from our obedience. There's some intimate relations that are here. And we see Ruth and Boaz, they're rewarded for their obedience. I think that uh, C.S. Lewis tried to spur us on to think about the rewards. He says we think too little about kingdom rewards. I think we probably think too little about God. (laughs) We think too little about obedience. But Jesus says to Peter one day, who's a little bit worried because they've left a bunch of stuff, Peter says, we've left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there's no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus says there are rewards. And I think it's to our own detriment that we think too little about that as we go out our door on Monday morning. I think it's to our detriment we think too little bit about as we're at our office on Tuesdays. God blesses obedience if there's anything we we see for Number two, God is accomplishing his eternal plans through our obedience. And unfortunately, sometimes our disobedience. As this child is given, the people pray in verse 14. And they say, blessed be the Lord. They know who's given this child. Verse 13, the narrator doesn't want us to be confused. It's the Lord who gave the conception of the child. And so it is praise to the Lord. Naomi is the one holding it, and it's this incredible picture of full cycle. She came back empty, so she thought, and now she holds this uh, grandson in her hands, takes him on her lap, and the women the uh, the of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed, which means sits on grandma's lap. No, not really. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it means servant, one who will serve. But uh, I just want to see if you're still with me. So uh, the incredible part, uh, the shock that comes is, yes, they've been blessed. Awesome. Ruth and Boaz, it's a happily ever after, right? So the rice has been thrown. They're married. And then nine months later, well, prior to that, you get the, the little picture in mail that says, we're expecting, right? And then you get little Obed's face, right? And so there's this cool ending that's like, awesome the story worked out as we hoped it would god has blessed obedience but that's not the end of the story 
The end of the story is the line that will come from this baby. It says in verse 17, the women in the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And when you read Ruth for the first time, that steals your breath away. It steals your breath away because you see from all the chaos and all the junk, God was over it all working a much larger plan. So why should we be obedient? Well, certainly there are blessings that come with that. But our obedience is also part of a much larger plan that God is working in his own ways. That plan is to have a a people for his name. And so Ruth and Boaz did something that didn't only have implications for their day, but ours as well. We should be grateful for Ruth and Boaz's obedience. We should be grateful. It has overarching implications. It goes on to the generations, verse 18. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered uh, Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nishan. Nishan fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. And you see these generations. I want you to hold your place there, and then I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 1. It's an uh, abbreviated genealogy that Ruth closes out with and it's just the reminder saying there's a bigger picture here god has not forgotten even in the seemingly godless time when people were doing their own thing god has not forgotten and boaz is not the only redeemer boaz is not the only redeemer i love that as you get into matthew 1 beginning in verse it says abraham was the father of isaac and isaac the father of jacob and jacob the father of judah and his brothers and judah the father of perez and zerah by tamar and perez the father of hezron and hezron the father of ram and ram the father of amadab and amadab the father of nishan and nishan the father of salmon and salmon the father of boaz by oh that's interesting isn't it do you remember who rahab was yeah rahab was the prostitute who uh, helped the spies in Jericho and yielded her life to God. And she's in this line. You see that? No wonder Boaz would be sympathetic, right? No, no wonder here. So Rahab and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. I just would simply uh, want us to take just a moment and not miss that in God's plan for the Messiah, you have Rahab, you have Ruth, and it's a picture of the nations, and it's a picture of people who don't belong. And if there's anything we should be grateful for, they're in there, because it's a picture for us. So can we. So can we belong. When I was in seventh grade, there was some uh, clothing line, Z. Cavarici and Marie Francois Jabot. Anybody remember those days? Remember those days? And we would also tightrope. I couldn't tightrope, so I would stand up on our table, and Mom would tightrope my jeans for me. So it was tough because I could do it up until we had PE, and then after PE, my pants wouldn't be tight-rolled the rest of the day. But that, I'm, I'm over it. So one day uh, I was wearing this Z Cavarici. It was a black shirt with silver letters. I was wearing this shirt, and uh, this girl comes up to me. Uh, and she best part is uh, her family went to our church, so that made it even better. But I was hanging with the cool kids, you know, but not because I was cool, certainly, but they were just my friends. But she walks right up to me and says, you know the only reason you can hang over here is because you're wearing that shirt, right? <laughs> so it was a note to self uh, about where I was on the coolness status. But uh, I, I obviously have, have never, uh, you know, forgotten that. That She seems to indicate that uh, it was this Z Cavarici shirt that qualified me to be a part of this special little group. 
And I meditated on that just a little bit this week because as Ruth ends the book, you see that Ruth, this foreign woman, uh, it wasn't just about Elimelech going. Friends, you, you don't want to miss, uh, God was a part of pursuing Ruth at this point too. It was a part of God using these things to get Ruth, bring her into this line. And as you see, Rahab and Ruth, they don't belong, but neither do we. And the beauty is Christ has done all that's necessary for us to belong. Christ has accomplished all that we need in order to be a part of this family. Christ pays for our past and gives us unmerited future. And so I would close, I want to close in this way, though I've spent a majority of time on Ruth and Boaz this morning, they're not the hero of the book of Ruth. God is. Because God has overcome the disobedience of Elimelech. He's overcome even the famine that he brought on on the people, disciplining them. He's overcome their disobedience. God has overcome the random walkings. He's leading these things. God is the one who brought the harvest. God is the one who brought the baby. God is the one who brought David. God is the one who brought Jesus. And all of it, as Ruth ends, it's a reminder, I will have my people. I will have my people. And I love that we studied in Revelation 14 today. I love that it begins, and John looks and beholds on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. I love that the dragon and the beast from chapter 13 didn't do squat to steal away those God had sealed. And Ruth is a part of that picture that Pharisees, famine, Pharaoh's infertility, nothing will stop God from accomplishing his plan He will have a people. And as they stand on Mount Zion, it is a testimony not to their victory, friends, but to the great omnipotence of our victorious King Jesus. And that's the picture in Ruth. We have a God who redeems, and he doesn't forget, and he doesn't forsake, and he's willing to pay the price, and nothing will stop his plan. This is a God who's worth living for. This is a God worth singing to. This is a God worth yielding everything to, our great victorious God. As we close... I just have a few questions. Stephanie's going to come, and I want to give us a chance to respond. Just a few simple questions. Are we like Ruth and Boaz in our generation? Though godlessness might be all around us, it doesn't make us godless. We're willing to be the ones that will stand even if no one else does it. Are we godly people? I'm not talking about just doing the right things. I'm talking about being right from the inside out, as Christ alone can make us. Are we doing the right things that are right in front of us right now? Are we delaying obedience on some issue? How many of you think that Ruth and Naomi are grateful that Boaz didn't delay obedience? How many of you think that we should be grateful he didn't delay obedience? Are we aware of the countless implications our daily obedience and disobedience can have? Friends, we want to be those who in this day we stand and in all of it, We trust our God who's working an incredible plan that won't be stopped. And my greatest fear is not the devil. It's my own sin. That my own sin would stop that. And the word that God gave me to say, no, it won't, is he laid my sin on his son. So that his son took care of the thing that I would be most scared would separate us. He says, I've overcome that too. What a great God. Will we live for him in this day? Father, we thank you for the book of Ruth, and thank you for what we see. God, I thank you for a man who did the right thing when other men weren't willing to. A man who would come in and clean up the mess made by uh, relatives. 
Father, I'm grateful for a man who put, his, uh, put himself in a position to be able to do that. Father, I thank you for a woman who committed to a mother-in-law and didn't leave her alone. God, I'm grateful for the barley harvest. that You brought them back. I'm grateful for the strength that you gave Ruth to work. Grateful for the timing that you brought Boaz to that field. Grateful for the integrity and a midnight encounter when it could have gone really bad. Grateful for the character that we're in these two people. And then, Father, we see the right way. And when it's done the right way, then we see this baby. And it seems so dark. But here's this incredible ending. And then it's not even the ending itself. That baby is going to be a grandfather of David. And after David will come your forever king, Jesus. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you overcome all of these things. And you will have a people for your name. Father, you want to use our obedience as a part of that. You want us to share the gospel with people. You want us to make disciples. You want us to feed and to clothe and to give a drink. So, Father, help us not to be those who just seek that our name would be known by everyone in Christendom. But that we would be willing to serve in obscurity for your glory. We'd be given, willing to give a glass of water that no one else may ever see but you see. We don't just give the glass of water to our brother or sister. We ultimately give it to Jesus. What an incredible picture. He is our great redeemer who's given so much to us. Thank you for the victorious picture and revelation we were able to study today that the saints will stand triumphant because the lamb is triumphant. Father, would you cause these truths that we're encountering to make a difference in how we live? As we respond this morning... Maybe we need to come to this front and we need to confess. We need to pray and, and ask forgiveness for delaying obedience. We need to ask forgiveness for not being the godly person we need to be at work. Father, we may need to come to this altar and pray and ask for your help, for the strength to be a man like Boaz or a woman like Ruth. You are our only hope for accomplishing that. So most importantly, by your spirit, move us to obedience with your truth. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You stand together. I'll ask Al and Kevin and Dr. David. Just a